Hello, thank you for joining us for Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. From this point to your last breath, your last brainwave, your last heartbeat, to know God as best you can. And you're going to need every nanosecond of it to be able to do it because there is so much to know about God. We all know that particular food and special recipes are very much part of special celebrations. Hot cross buns at Easter, plum puddings at Christmas, and decorated cakes for birthdays and so on. Have you considered that food and eating a meal has also long been associated with worship? That begs the question, what or who and how are we worshipping? Dr. Corbett is engaged in a series of messages exploring the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthian church as recorded in the New Testament of the Bible. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues his look at Corinthians, his topic of focus, idolizing food. Let's join him We're now. in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to do the continuation of what's called an exposition an exposition is where we're going to have a look at what it says as it says it. And that's what we're doing now. So this is an exposition through Paul's epistles to the Corinthians. We've seen that, that Corinth is that little almost, it's, it's got a land bridge onto uh, mainland Greece. But the region was known as Achaia and it had become a very prosperous territory Firstly, it was destroyed by the Romans about 148 BC uh, because they thought it was a place of utter depravity. And then about 100 years later, Julius Caesar came and re-established it as a colony of Rome for his soldiers as sort of their superannuation and gave them uh, allocations on Corinth. And over the next 100 years... After that, so now we're sort of 48 AD, uh, when Paul the Apostle had been there for 18 months, he'd established a church there. The Corinthians were very, very spiritual. There was, uh, at the top of Corinth, the, the, uh, the city of Corinth, the region of Corinth, there was a temple to Aphrodite, and there was all kinds of pagan rituals that were happening there, and it it might sound odd to think of a culture as being utterly God and God's sensitive. Because we live, whether we appreciate it or not, and perhaps we're increasingly appreciating it, in a pretty godless country. I don't know if you've noticed. My friend um, Pete, who lives in Shepparton and is the... the chairman of prison fellowship australia um, a ministry which i think is vitally important has just come back from kenya and in kenya he was he was telling me i caught up with him through the week uh, by phone and because he went over there to see what they could learn as prison fellowship australia from the experience in kenya in kenya prison fellowship which is an international organization has unimpeded access into the prisons, unimpeded access to prisoners, unimpeded access in being able to teach God's word, share the scriptures, invite people to turn to Christ. In fact, not only do they have unimpeded access to do that, the prison authorities want them to do that. And the reason they want them to do that is because it has had a dramatic impact on the culture 
within prisons. Drug abuses being reduced. Crime within the prison, would you believe, has been dramatically reduced. There's Bible studies that happen within the prison walls. There's prisoners who have become repentant and turned to Christ. And it's had a dramatic impact on the culture in Kenya, especially in the, in the prisons there. Peter was asked, what's it like for prison fellowship in Australia, in the Australian prisons? And they were thinking that they were asking him in the context that Australia was a Christian country. <laughs> oh, did they learn a lesson or two? Because he said, well, we're not allowed to get into most prisons. We're not welcome if we do. We're told what we can say and what we can't say. There's just so many obstacles in the way. And the Kenyans were looking at Peter going, you're kidding. Why would they not want the transformation power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of all of the people who society with a wave of the hand says there's nothing that can be done for them. And Pete says, I know. But this is what we're working with here in Australia. And I say that to say that when we read these New Testament epistles, nor mentioned about atheists, and of course there's that Rowan Atkinson's uh, one-man stage play skit where he is the devil. I don't know if you've seen that. And he's talking about, you know, which part of hell to put different people in. And then he says, now, the atheists, he says. I guess you feel like right dills now, don't you? <laughs> and it is funny. And we're not, we're not, if you're an atheist here this morning, welcome. <laughs> and we live in a culture that is rife with people, not only atheists, but proud to be atheists as well. And they'll, they'll, they'll openly declare their atheism. But the world never used to be like that. And Corinth was a place where there was no atheists. Everyone believed in the supernatural realm. Everyone believed there was a God, if not multiple gods. So this is, this is a bit of a, a cultural shock to, to read about a culture and a society where the spiritual realm was extremely real. And you can go to parts of the world today and that's how it is for them too. The spiritual realm is a reality. And so what we're about to look at now is Paul addressing the people who have come out of that culture into the understanding that there is not gods, there is a God, the God. So let's follow now. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1 and it says this. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. And you notice the English Standard Version translators. By the way, the English Standard Version of the English Bible is pretty good. And they put that in quotation marks. And the reason they put it in quotation marks is because there was... A group of false teachers in Corinth that had infiltrated into the Corinthian church. And after Paul left, they were saying things like this. Oh, yeah, well, Paul was good, but we can take you on further. I mean, there are things Paul just did not know. 
And if you care to, as I have, go through 1 Corinthians and even particularly 1 Corinthians and even 2 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians, the word know and knowledge occurs more often than any other epistle. And Paul is quoting these false teachers, the ESV translators tell us by putting it in quotation marks. They were saying, we all possess knowledge, but they're going to say they have a special knowledge, a, a greater knowledge than the Apostle Paul. So notice what Paul says about this. This knowledge, what knowledge? The knowledge of the false teachers who are disturbing you. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And there's the difference. I hope that we are a church of highly educated people. And all the highly educated people said, thank you to all three of you, that was great. I want this church to be a church where people who perhaps don't feel highly educated can come in and discover something that no teacher in no classroom ever taught them. And that's the knowledge of God, how to know God, how to make him known, how to love God. And we're going to have a look at that in a moment. But here Paul says, these false teachers, they have a knowledge that makes them proud. They get puffed up in how good they think they are. We go to verse 2. If anyone imagines that he knows something, Paul says, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Now, as each of the educated people in this church could tell you, the more you come to know something really strange happens the more you don't know the more you come to know the more you realize there's much more to know and rather than us being proud about how much we know and what certificates we've got on our walls and all this sort of thing the more you come to know in a right sense the more humble you should become because you realise, I don't know much at all. This is one of the really cool things, I think, about the Christian walk. You have, from this point to your last breath, your last brainwave, your last heartbeat, to know God as best you can. And you're going to need every nanosecond of it to be able to do it. Because there is so much to know about God. If I could give you an example of that, I would say the example is of a husband who on his wedding day marries the woman who is now his wife. And I'm telling you, it will take you just as long to get to know her as well. Because women are very... <laughs> Verse 3. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. And here's what Paul is contrasting what he's about with what the false teachers were about. The false teachers were about this special knowledge, this knowledge that in the second century became known as a movement called Gnosticism. The idea that there was this secret knowledge that you could be initiated into and the seeds of it were happening here in Corinth. So here Paul's saying... But the kind of knowledge you really want to pursue is the knowledge of being known by God. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told this amazing 
story that sort of should cause us to ponder about this word no in the Hebrew mindset. You see, in, in Hebrew, the word no, when it comes to relationship, it actually means to be intimate with that person. So in other words, before you, men, husbands, before you married your wife, you knew her, but I guarantee you after you married her, you got to know her better and you discovered there's a lot more to know. That's the journey of marriage. It's one of the things that I encourage a couple in our marriage preparation sessions to make that your life quest, to make that your, your journey together. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this, On the day of judgment, there will be some who will come and they will stand in line and stand before him and expecting his congratulations or something. And Jesus says, but in that day, they will say to me, in your name, we cast out demons, we healed the sick, we prophesied, we did all these things. And Jesus said in this story, Matthew chapter 7, he said, But I will say, depart from me, for I never, what's the next word? Knew you. I never knew you. You see, what we have here is the difference between religion and doing religious things and seeming to be religious and actually knowing God. Actually knowing God. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus said this in his prayer to his father with John the Apostle listening nearby. Jesus said, Father, this is eternal life, that they know you and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. It's as if he wants John to hear it and write it down just as he said it. This is eternal life, to know you and it's not just head knowledge it's not facts that you tick the right multiple choice option on a test it's to come to know it's to come to know every husband knows that there are times when you don't even have to finish a sentence and your wife already knows what you're about to say men can't do that and there's a hebrew scholars now tell us why because the Hebrew scholars now have found good evidence to believe that when God took that rib out of Adam, it was the, that was the power to mind read. <laughs> Men just don't have it anymore. That was a joke, by the way, just with a lot of truth behind it. The basis for arrogance. The basis for arrogance is false knowledge the basis for arrogance is false knowledge think about this paul says that kind of knowledge that you false teachers have puffs you up what's that that's arrogance what kind of knowledge false knowledge it's not true you see you could have false knowledge and you are so conceited with pride that you won't even acknowledge it so think about some of this false knowledge that people are beset with. That they're not really that bad. That's false. We all need a saviour. We all need to be forgiven. That's false knowledge that you don't need a saviour. I'm sure that if I die right now and I stand before God in heaven and he comes to judge me, I'm sure I'll be okay because I'm not that bad. 
That's false. That's false. And that's actually pride. If you can hear the pride in that as well. So this is what we need to know. That knowing God is more important than merely knowing theoretical facts about God. And I've mentioned this before that my posthumous mentor, F.W. Borum, he was acclaimed in 1924 as one of the greatest preachers in the world. One of the most influential preachers in the world. And before he died, he wrote, I have this regret that I didn't make God known more often. I wish I had my time over. I would talk more about God, describe God to people so that people would come to know him because I'm sure if they just got to know him, they would come to him and acknowledge that he is Lord and Saviour. And that's kind of my heart too today. And so as we look at this, this is now for me the second part of part 10. And this is idolizing food. Now this might sound like, as Blair misunderstood it, to be a message about gluttony. Now you, if the Holy Spirit convicts you, you just go with that. But that's not actually where I'm going today. Let's have a look in verse 4, chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols. So remember in verse 1, this is what Paul has said he's going to be talking about. We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Two things I really want to point out here. Firstly, the concept of eating food has been integral to how people from all cultures and nearly all religions worship. It's really interesting. When we consider the old testament god brought israel out of egypt and gave them a a list of ways he wanted them to worship him and he wanted to make it really clear the way you did it in egypt the way you saw the egyptians do it is not how i want to be worshipped this is how i want to be worshipped Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 5. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. And we know that that ended up being in the tribe of Judah on Mount Zion, which just below Mount Zion is where Jerusalem was established. Verse 6. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present. Your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. Verse 7 And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice. While doing what? While eating a meal together. You and your households, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So here we have part of the The core of Old Testament worship involved come together as my people and eat a meal having surrendered your best to me and then eat a meal together. Hmm, Interesting. It's a part of worship. It's one of the reasons, as I was thinking about this, we take our family dinner table time to pray, don't we? When I grew up, we called it grace. I only ever heard one prayer of grace. Pray, thank you, Lord, for the birds that sing. 
Thank you, Lord, for everything. Thank you, Lord, for the world so sweet. Thank you, Lord, for what we eat. Amen. That was it. Heard that for my childhood. But it was a ritual. And we all have, hopefully, we all will say, say thank you, God. And we make this meal a ritual of thanks to God. So worship's really embedded in, in, in food. Here's the second point I want to make. Paul says, but we know there's only one God. He says, there is no God but one, the end of verse 4. So worship is due only to the one true God. In Hebrew, that name for God, unlike what the Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you, because the word Jehovah is a made-up word that is not in the Bible. It's the word Yahweh. Yahweh. And it's rendered in English with capitals L-O-R-D. Because the translators go, we don't know how to put that in English. So we'll tell you. And if you ever read the, the notes at the start where the translator says, hey, before you read this, you just need to know that we don't quite know how to translate some of these words particularly this word it's called the tetragrammaton y-h-w-h so we're just going to write lord but there's one lord who is worthy of worship now here's what happened i'm going to show you as we look at the next verse paul says this for although there may be notice this so-called gods in heaven or on earth he says as indeed there are many gods and many lords what there's one god but well actually there are many so-called gods in fact they're in heaven and they're on earth and they're called gods and they're called lords what is he referring to he's referring to something that every hebrew every jew knew that the Old Testament alludes to, it gives clues to it. And it's this, that God created incredibly powerful beings. Their realm was heaven. And so we would call them, and the Bible actually does call them heavenly creatures. There's a couple of catch-all words I'm going to use here now. One is angels. We tend to call every creature that God created whose realm is heaven, as angels. But not all of them are the angels that we think of. They are something else, but they're heavenly creatures. Here's the other catch-all word I'm going to use. It's the word demons. It's a catch-all word because not all of the things that we designate as demons are demons. They're evil spirits or the other word used in the new testament is princes or spirits over principalities what paul is referring to is this concept that every jew knew that god had established some of these incredibly powerful creatures to help him as he set up the universe to create mankind and to create a special creature mankind who would be his emissaries on earth and that this place of earth would be a place filled with these people who would give him glory and worship 
And he created some of these super powerful heavenly creatures to help mankind to do that. And they were a part of what's called the divine council. And Paul's referring, there's reference to this in what he's saying here now. And it appears to me that the Corinthians knew about this. Where are we getting this divine council and multiple gods? Here's the other catch-all word. We've got angels, we've got demons. Here's another catch-all word. It's the word Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M. Any word you hear in Hebrew that ends with him or im means plural. It's El means God, Elohim, gods. It's a catch-all word. Some of these Elohim were created. Only one being among the Elohim were not created, and that's God himself. And here it is, Psalm 82, verse 1. Psalm 82, verse 1 says this, God, Elohim, has taken his place in the divine council, in the midst of the gods, same word, Elohim, he holds judgment. How long will you judge God, Yahweh, identified as a member of the Elohim? How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, Selah? Think about this, the psalmist says. I, Yahweh speaking, I said you are Elohim, is the Hebrew, God's. Sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. What's going on here? Jesus actually quotes that psalm, John chapter 8 or 10, I think. Here's the thing. Some of these creatures that God had created to help mankind rebelled against God. We see one of those rebellions in Genesis chapter 3, where one of them, so full of pride that God would create woman, wanted to destroy God's plan and bring the woman down, tempted the woman first before man. Secondly, in Genesis chapter 6, we see in Psalm 82 that it says, You are gods, you are called sons of the Most High. And so we read in Genesis chapter 6 that when the sons of God, not all of them, some of them, the sons of God saw that the women, the daughters of men were beautiful, they went into them and sired children. And those children were half-breeds, human, and these beings are called Nephilim, giants. And then we see again in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, there's another episode there. Here's the point. God called these beings gods but not gods in the sense of he alone is god but in the sense that they had power to represent him and some of them misrepresented him and they became the evil powers of darkness so when we see nations worshiping baal that's the name according to Jewish tradition, of one of these heavenly creatures that rebelled against God. Paul knew about this. It appears that the Corinthians knew about this. So Paul is calling these creatures so-called gods. 
so-called lords. But now he's going to say, behind the worship of these idols are these spiritual powers. And he says, don't play with idolatry because at the root of all sin, the sin of idolatry in particular, is pride. Now, we in our modern 21st century mindset, with all our scientific knowledge, could wave a hand and go, well, weren't they stupid worshipping idols? As if anyone would do that today. If you ever go to India, you'll see there's millions of people who do that today. You don't even have to go as far as India. If you've ever been to Bali, anyone ever been to Bali, you'll see shrines to multiple gods all over the place so we've got idolatry that is obvious but you know what we you know what we also have is idolatry that's not so obvious where people will honor things before god that's idolatry they will surrender to things which is a part of worship before surrendering to god And that's idolatry. At the root of it is pride, Paul says. Pride is going to be our worst enemy. Pride, Proverbs 16 verse 18 says, goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And here's what I want you to know and to understand. Your greatest spiritual enemy in this life is not the devil. It's our own pride. That's our greatest enemy. It's so deceptive. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 17, the prophet said this, And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in the day that the Messiah comes. 1 John chapter 2 verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And what does the world tell us to do? Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You be you. You be you. Don't let anyone tell you what you can and can't do. You be you. If you're not happy with the way you are, consider yourself to be something else. Because you be you. That's idolatrous language. We are not called to be whoever we want to be. We are called to be who God has created us to be. Young man, you're created to be a man of God young woman you're created to be a woman of God that's who God's created you to be and the best thing you can do with your life is to live your life to the one who created you give your life to him and serve him the apostle Paul declared that Jesus Christ was Yahweh the Lord God and this If you have come from a Jehovah's Witness background or a Christadelphian background, this should mess with you because here we have the Bible completely contradicting the core of your teaching. But for the Christian, we go, of course, Jesus is Yahweh. Yahweh doesn't mean Father, it means Lord. What are the attributes of God? He created everything. Nothing that was created came about without God. Therefore, Paul says of Jesus, yet for us there is one God, the Father, 
from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. Notice what he says about Jesus Christ. Through whom are all things and through whom we exist. What has he just said? We worship Father and we worship the Son, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, not idols up that Mount Corinth hill. Compared with Jesus Christ, and this is what we really we need to know, because I know some of you get spooked by demons and evil forces. Don't. Jesus Christ is Lord. Compared with the Lord Jesus Christ, demons and evil spirits are nothing. And that's what Paul has told the Corinthians. We read this. However, verse 7, not all possess this knowledge of the superiority of Christ. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. Food. Paul tells the Corinthians, will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Because becoming a Christian is not a matter of what you eat or don't eat, drink or don't drink. In fact, becoming a Christian is not a matter of what you do because it's not anything you can do that can make you right with God. That's why Christianity is not spelt D-O. Christianity is spelt, help me out here, D-O-N-E. It's all been done by Christ and he now offers it to you as a free gift. And if you will relinquish your pride and accept in humility that you need a saviour, it's a free gift. Just receive it. This is why Paul is now going to speak to the believers in Corinth about those who have a very weak conscience. True Christian love lays down your rights for the sake of those who are weak. For the sake of those who are weak. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. That word destroyed might be the word backsliding. They might go back into that way of worship thinking, well, if there's no difference between Christianity and what I was doing before, I'll do what I did before. And Paul says, don't do that. Thus... He says, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. You see, how we treat others and live before them has a bearing on how receptive they will be to the gospel that we share. What's the gospel? The message of Christ's love and forgiveness. That's what it is. So here's what Paul is saying. It's really important that we live to know Christ. That's where he started. That's the kind of knowledge you should pursue. To know Christ. To make him known. And to help others, especially our brothers and sisters, not just to know Christ, not just to come to know Christ, but to know him increasingly richly and increasingly deeply. That's what 
every believer should do. Would you please stand? The worship team are going to lead us in this song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And if you think, well, I could never, I could never be good enough to become a Christian, you need to hear it again. It's not anything you can do. It's what he's already done for you and he now offers it to you. And as we see here in 1 Corinthians 8, that we, the ones who are mature, the ones who know this, we live with consideration and love for those who don't. So let's worship Christ now and then I'll be back to close in prayer. Perhaps you've never accepted God's offer. Perhaps you've never turned to him. You're not a million miles away from God. You're just one prayer away. A very simple prayer. So simple. It could be one word. It could be the word help. Help. Help me. I'm in a mess and I need help. God, if you're there, if you're real, help. You pray that prayer, I guarantee you God hears. And he'll answer. You may be ready right now to surrender your life to Christ and if you are even for those who are joining with us online right now will you pray this prayer God please have your way in my life forgive me for all that I've done that I know is wrong take away my guilt and my shame and help me to live with you and for you fill me with your spirit i pray amen you pray that prayer your life will be different from this point i guarantee it now father i pray for those who who are joining with us now online and here in person that you, father you would help us to be kind and considerate and merciful and gracious all the things that you are that we might represent you well to a world that is angry and frustrated and disappointed and so hurt. Help us to be agents of your love and healing grace. Now, Lord, may we know the love of God the Father. May we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we know the fellowship with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. If you'd you. like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Corinthians Part 11 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, idols are not limited to statues on the shelf, but whatever we consider of greater importance than God. Worship is due to the one true God, Yahweh, the Lord. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.